All right. Well, again, welcome to a blower town. Uh, we, I, this morning, I'm very excited to keep going in the book of Romans. Uh, this is week 11, and so uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time doing a recap. I'll, I will do a little bit of that. Um, I not that long ago had someone ask, like, "Oh man, we spend a lot of like recap every every week." Um, and like, we've, I've been here every week and I'm like, great, I'm not doing it for you. Uh, I'm doing it for people who haven't been here every week and that's okay. Uh, so anyways, I will get into that in a minute. Uh, but week 11 with Romans, uh, there's been a lot. So if you have your little, your Bible or the ones that we gave out with the notes on the one side, uh, you can follow along. We will be in Romans chapter two, looking at five, uh, through 11 this morning. So, um, Back in the day, in, uh, I was newly graduated from high school, so it was been 04, 05, and uh, I was going to church in Chicago, and I wasn't a huge hockey guy. I never played hockey. I never wanted anything to do. I just wasn't, didn't watch hockey. I didn't really start watching hockey until I moved to Minnesota, um, and so I would, maybe I would say I'm a wild fan, but I don't, you know, I've only been to a couple games, but, uh, but back then, uh, the Blackhawks were, were really good. And so, uh, and then my pastor at the time was a diehard, diehard Blackhawks fan. And they were in the playoffs and they had won the Stanley Cup. I, I don't know if it was that year or five or six or right around there. And my, my pastor though ended up getting on the news. And he, again, like I said, was a diehard uh, Blackhawks fan. I actually tried to find the clip of him, but I couldn't find it. Because um, apparently there's a lot of people who have done what he did in this clip where he was being interviewed, uh, they're, you know, they're at the game and, and you know, the camera and they got the microphone and they're like, hey, and so he, I think they were playing the Toronto Maple Leafs and he went to Toronto to, to watch one of these playoff games and he was wearing, I saw him and he was wearing a Toronto, uh, is it the Maple Leafs? Am I making that up? Is that right? Okay. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, and, and he's wearing this Maple Leafs jersey and I was like, isn't that my pastor? That's kind of weird because I know he's a big Blackhawks fan. And, they, and the Maple Leafs had just lost. And so they interview my pastor, who was now wearing a Toronto uh, jersey, and like, hey, how are you, how are you coping with the loss? You know, what do you, what do you think? And he was like, oh, let me, let me show you something. And he takes off his jersey, and he's got a Blackhawks jersey underneath it. And, and they were like, what is that about? And he's like, I just didn't want to get like beat up because I was wearing a Blackhawks jersey. Well, then the, the Blackhawks fans, you know, he kind of turns to them and like, yeah, and they're like, no, like you're, you can't do that. You know what I mean? You can't switch teams like that. It doesn't, it doesn't work the way. Just because you are wearing a Blackhawks jersey, you, you kind of seem like you're, you're a coward when it comes to your fandom. Um, and maybe he was. The Apostle Paul, though, is going to talk about this. Just because I'm wearing a certain jersey or look a certain way or fit in or is born into a certain thing uh, doesn't mean that that's who I am. Uh, I was born into a family of Bears fans. I'm a Packer fan. Uh, my kids are, are you know, growing up in a house that's mixed uh, Vikings and Packers. I don't know what they're going to be, right? But just because I'm a Packer fan doesn't mean they have to be a Packer fan. Uh, and so the Apostle Paul is going to jump into that today. So just real, real quick, briefly, Romans chapter 1, starting over, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. The fact that that servant there, slave of Christ Jesus, uh, that, that is the first preeminent descriptor of who he is, is a slave to Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so he's writing this letter. And again, this letter is not written to us. 
the, the book, uh, this book of Romans is not written to the churches in 2023. I almost said 17. I, that too, I guess that would have been true as well. I don't know where that came from. And, and, and so, but it's written, it's written for us though. We can glean from it. We can learn from it. And we're going to see that specifically uh, this morning. So again, the main question that the Apostle Paul is going to be asking is how can a just God allow anyone into heaven? A big question, again, I say this almost every week when I talk about this, is how can a loving God send anyone to hell? It's a great question. Um, but that's not Paul's question. Paul's question is looking at humanity, looking at how messed up and sinful we are, and says, how does anyone get in? How does anyone get in? This doesn't make any sense. There's no way a human being should be allowed into the presence of God. And so... Um, Specifically today, he's going to even answer that question with like, even the Jews, even God's chosen people, how do they even get in? Uh, and so we're going to look at that. So one last little recap here, uh, because we're going to really be looking at this today. Again, this is from Scott Duvall's book, Grasping God's Word. And there's just five, five points. One, grasp the text in their town. Number two, gauge the width of the cultural river. Uh, what kind of language are they? And again, that river is going to be very narrow in this book because it is a, a book written to a New Testament church, which we are also a New Testament church, a church that wasn't founded by the apostles, uh, but was just started by people who love Jesus. And, and so that, that river is very narrow. And then you're going to cross the principalizing bridge. What's the main principle that Paul is going to get in their town? And then you... Four, consult the biblical roadmap, and then five, after all that homework. Now, now we can start to apply. When we jump to application, uh, we usually make some pretty big uh, mistakes thinking that this passage is all about me or the thing that I'm going through in my culture, that, that must be what Paul's talking about. And it's just not the case. Uh, so we're going to be kind of taking this, it's kind of even going to be my outline this morning as we jump into this last week. Uh, like I said, Angela and I were on vacation in Florida with our kiddos. It just worked out. My mom and, and stepdad were down there, and then her parents happened to be down there. Um, and so we stayed you know, a few nights in both, both sets of, of grandparents and really had a good time. Her parents are like really interested in buying a place down there. And then my stepdad was like, I'm, I'm not going home. Like, I'm never going home. And I, and I think he was being serious. So I don't know what that's going to look like. But um, so last week, Paul taught on this, the kindness of God. And when you read that text, it, the kindness of God forces us to worship. When we, when we really see and get a glimpse of God and his benevolence and kindness and love, it just forces us to go, man, you're good. This week, we're gonna, I've titled it Be Perfect. Uh, one of the options, at least kind of rolling around, was, was like the, 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 the real karma. Of, of do I do good things to get good? If I do bad, do bad things happen? If I, and so Paul, again, we'll, we'll get in, into that. So I'm, I'm gonna go back briefly to what Paul uh, preached on, on last week because I gotta set up uh, the context of, of our passage for this morning. So this was the text from last week, Romans chapter two, one through four. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know the judgment of God rightly falls unto those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing 
that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. All right, so again, I'm not gonna get into that. Paul, Paul went into that last week. Uh, but just setting up, who grasping the text in their town, who is the Apostle Paul talking to? Because he's gonna shift his, his um, uh, pronouns, goodness. Uh, the, the shifting, it used to be they and them, and now all of a sudden in chapter two, it switches to you. Who is Paul talking to? He's gonna say you. And if we look at this, we kind of break it down, this is really hard to see. Uh, this was a screenshot that I took from my phone on a call that I was on Monday. It actually uh, is in better quality because I had to like zoom it way in. But uh, anyways, 1, 18 through 19, that word of like you or all people is the phrase. It's for everybody, all of humanity. And then it kind of, it, you know, kind of gets a little bit more narrow. And chapter, two, or chapter 1, 20 through 32 is people apart from special revelation. Special revelation is just God's written word. He gives his people, the Jews, his written word, reveals himself to them. So if you're apart from special revelation, there's laws that are written on our heart. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so specifically addressing Gentiles who don't have the law. And then now this week in chapter 2 and then verses 1 through 16, it's people, specifically Jews, who rely on their birthright. I was born into this, right? I'm, I'm in this family, and so now, now I'm good. And so if you think that you're okay because of something you were born into, the Apostle Paul is gonna emphatically say here, you're wrong. You don't have, you, 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 don't have, you might have a, a cultural privileges of families and things you might be born into, but as far as your standing with God, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, because again, we have no choice in the families we're born into. We don't, we don't have a, a, a choice in that. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to be an American, and yet I shouldn't be proud and think I'm better than somebody who's not an American. It doesn't make any sense. And very similarly, that's what Paul is gonna say here. So with that you in mind, these Jews who are relying on their heritage, that's who he's talking, that's, their, that's the town that he's talking about, he says right here in verse five, these are our verses for today, five through 11. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will, reve will be revealed. Go back to chapter one, we talked about God's wrath. We had an entire sermon on God's wrath, but the God's wrath in chapter one is being revealed now. That was kind of the aha moment that, that God's wrath, Again, we think, oh, future, hellfire, brimstone, judgment, that's God's wrath. Um, but in chapter one, the apostle Paul says, no, that's, that's not the wrath that we're talking about. I'm talking about God giving us over to the desires of our flesh to do whatever we wanna do. That's God's wrath now, today, in our life. But this wrath is the future wrath. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. 
just because you're born into the Jewish community, there's no partiality. You're, you're not doing better. And the Apostle Paul is going to really get into that in the next couple uh, months to come of, is there an advantage of being a Jew? Then if we got the Bible, yeah, you, there is in the sense that you have been, been, God has been revealed to you specifically through his word and his teaching. But as far as your standing with God, no, there's no partiality. You're not better off. You're not less sinful than somebody else. And that's what Paul is going to be getting at. So I want to just ask this question, how are people in this passage, Jew or Gentile, there's no partiality, how are they saved? And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to really be getting into. Um, our R.C. Sproul, again, a theologian uh, who passed a couple years ago from Florida, he, uh, in his commentary on Romans, he, he was talking about how he, he was teaching a seminary class and he asked everyone in the class a true and false quiz. And, and the last question on the, on the quiz or the test was this, true or false? We are justified by our faith, justified, just a theological word for salvation. I'm, I'm justified, I'm, I'm made as if I've never sinned. We are justified by faith, but our rewards in heaven will be distributed according to our works. And he said every single person in the class answered false. So what, is, what was Sproul getting at? What Sproul is saying, and I'm going to tell you this right now, because you know I like Sproul. I got t-shirts about the guy. I disagree with him. <laughs> I disagree with his position here. Why? Because he's not, the apostle Paul in this passage is talking about salvation. He's talking about justification. And Sproul here gets into, oh, but my good works, I will be rewarded in some way, shape, or form. That I can do works that will either be wood, uh, hay, and stubble, and will be burned up, or it will be gold and silver and precious stone that will be, be my reward. That's great, and we can get into that. That's a whole other sermon from a different text. That's not this text. That's not this passage. This passage is how our people justify. How is anybody saved, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of who your great-great-grandfather was? What Paul is trying to uh, address, uh, at least get across to his Jewish readers, this, again, this justification by faith alone, but Paul here is saying that there is another way how can someone be saved? They can be saved by the good grace of God or you can be perfect, right? If you don't do anything evil ever in your life, great, you're in. And that's his argument. He's gonna say, it doesn't work that way. You can't be good enough. I think of this passage like uh, riding a bike unless you're one of those hipsters with a, uh, what's that called, like a fixed chain? Is that what it's called? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, anyways. You know, you ever seen people that are really cool and they uh, on the corner and they're like balancing, you know, you know, on their bike? Other than that, usually in order to remain upright on a bike, you have to be moving forward, right? The, 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 if you're moving forward, you will ride. If you, I don't get it. I'm sure there's science behind it. Centrifugal force. Uh, but if you don't, then you fall over. This passage is kind of one of those passages that if you stop you're going to tip over. You're going to get caught up in the wheeze of what Paul is saying and get nitpicky, and that's not what he's trying to do. How do we know that? Because if we keep riding our bike and we stay upright, we get to the next verse in verse 12, and he's like, yeah, everyone's a sinner. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. So this isn't about, oh, maybe if I'm good enough, my heritage is good enough. If, if, if I have the right theology and I do this and I don't do that, then I guess I'm in, just like my great-great-grandfather Abraham, then I guess I'm, I'm good and we gotta keep going. 
And what Paul's argument is, mm, no. Nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. Oh, wait, there was one. There was one who did it, and we need to put our faith in that. So again, the Jews being addressed specifically in this passage thought that they were in because of who their great-grandfather was, being Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, we get um, God making a covenant with Abraham and then all of his descendants, right? So, you, so in order to be in, right, it was like you're, you're in a lifeboat and the Jews thought, hey, I'm in this lifeboat of Judaism and if you wanna be in too, you wanna be saved, you need to become Jewish, you need to act like us, you need to talk like us, you need to worship like us and then you're in. And what Paul is saying here is the life raft isn't what you think it is. The life raft is only Christ. It has nothing about being a descendant of Abraham. It has everything about having the righteousness of Christ written on my heart. The apostle Paul is gonna make this explicitly clear in Philippians chapter three. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more, okay? The apostle's saying, you think you're good enough? You think you've got a good enough heritage? You got nothing on me. I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel. That was a, the, the law in Leviticus that, uh, that boys in the eighth day would be circumcised of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. Pharisee was just a religious, devout leader that took laws that were prescribed just for uh, the religious leaders and the priests. And they said, no, 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 we all need to obey all the laws so that we will be good enough so that the Messiah the Messiah will come as a, I'm a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteous, righteousness under the law, blameless. And Paul there is not being facetious, okay? I think sometimes we think, oh, the Old Testament law, you had to obey it perfectly, but it was impossible to be perfect, which is true, but the law wasn't set up to, to ask for perfection. How do we know that? Well, because there are sacrificial systems within the law that when you do sin, here's what you do. And so when he says blameless, he says, oh no, I sinned. I did things wrong or I didn't do things right, but I always obeyed the law in order to make myself right again. So when he says blameless, he means this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, my history, my heritage, my genealogies, my zeal, my knowledge of theology means nothing. I need Christ, and only Christ. Uh, I found a picture of a guy changing jerseys, but I'm just gonna skip that. Our town, okay, great. That's what it means to them, and, and that's, that's great, okay, cool, but I don't think, I could be wrong, I highly doubt there's anybody in here who struggles with the same way the Roman Jewish people were struggling of, oh no, I actually think I'm saved because my Jewish heritage. I could be wrong, but my guess is that's probably not our struggle. That's probably not where we're at. So how, how do we apply this text? How do, how do we then um, go from that, what Paul's main argument is about, to then our town. Again, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, 
Right, so, so again, let's just, now, let's, I think we can, we've, got, we've consulted the biblical roadmap, we understand that this is not uh, good works that will just make me a better person, this is salvation, and I can't do it. Again, stay on the bike, and we'll see it more next week, too. Uh, that my works are bad. My good works, on a good day, it's bad. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, when God's Righteous judgment will be revealed. Uh, he will render to each one according to his works. And the point I'm making and Paul's gonna make here and other places in the book of Romans is all of it's bad. It's garbage. How can God allow anyone into heaven? Grace. He says to those who uh, by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Again, he's using that, right? Uh, you think you're in because of this jersey you're wearing, but you're not. Because you're, you, if you, you want to do this perfectly, do it perfectly, but you can't. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, guilty, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distresses for every human being who does evil. Guilty. And again, argument here, the Jew first and also the Greek. This applies to everybody. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also the Greek. Again, going back uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, of looking at don't, don't judge, right? You don't, don't be the first one to, to judge. And he's again talking to the Jews that are there because they're going, ha ha, you Gentiles, you Gentile scum, you guys are just the, the armpit of the world, you're awful people, you need to be good like me, a Jew, and then he's going, yeah, it doesn't work. There's no partiality here. It doesn't matter my heritage. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is there any part of us that thinks that our good works then make us better? or better than somebody else, or I'm more saved than somebody else. It's so easy to do this with the law. It's so easy to read your Bible and go, oh, law, I obey that law, therefore I'm good. Law, don't do that, I don't do that, so I'm good. That's really easy. The law is unbelievably easy to manipulate yourself into thinking you're, you're good. We're not. And again, this isn't like a pity party, like, whoa, is, like, you, got, you just need to walk around, like, I'm, I'm bad, I'm a bad person, like, good, you know, too bad, we're all bad together. No, no, we can improve, we can kill sin, but we do it with Christ, and with Christ on our mind. And so one way that the law, I think a lot of times, is unfortunately taught is something called the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. I recently saw this on a, on a TikTok where some guy, I don't know if he's a pastor, I don't know if he just has a Bible, I have no idea. Uh, but he started going through the Sermon of the Mount. And he said, when you read it the way Jesus taught it, it's about the kingdom of God, right? This is the kingdom of God is like someone who builds their house on the rock and not on the sand, that you love your enemies uh, more than yourselves, all these different aspects, the Beatitudes, right? Or blessed are they. And so, but there's a lot of law. And I'm not gonna get into Jesus on this. There's a whole lot that's going on within this. But he's in between kind of these covenants. He's ushering in, and this is what the kingdom of God's gonna look like. But this guy on TikTok, though, he was like, uh, if you read it backwards, then it's, gonna be, it's the kingdom of man. Right, so, so he goes on to say, he's like, well, so if you, if you build your house on the sand, then, then you are a false disciple. And if you're a false disciple, then you're gonna listen to false prophets. And so you're not really gonna be able to love your enemies, right? And kind of goes backwards. And when you read the Bible that way, especially the law, then you go, oh, I need to do better. I need to be a better person. 
And that doesn't help anybody. It does no good at all. It doesn't make God love me more because I'm obeying. It doesn't make him love me less when I disobey. He loves, period. And that then is the motivation to obey. Jesus uh, specifically says this in this passage because I think you're gonna see the connection between what Paul is saying in Romans 2 to what Jesus is teaching even on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said. It, it's interesting, in our culture, and if maybe you haven't grown up in the church and maybe this is your first time even reading these verses, but um, th- I think we've heard a lot of these, this perspective before. Oh yeah, you love your neighbor, right? That's, that's what we're supposed to do, the golden rule or whatever you wanna call it. Right? Um, I'm a big fan of the show, the, the Chosen, and there's a scene in the Chosen where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and the disciples, they're, they're just their their minds are being blown. Right? I, I can't imagine hearing this for the first time and how radical this was. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise in the evil and the good and sends rain in the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what, uh, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore, what's he say? Must be perfect. Well, maybe he didn't mean perfect. No, as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, so there's no hope. So I, I can't. I, can, I cannot do this. Jesus is like, you're right. You can't, but I can. That's why you need to have faith in me. That's why you need to, no one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. So again, looking at this, the point to the Jewish readers was don't trust in your heritage. We already talked about the width of the river, but now the principle God, uh, sorry, the good works count for nothing when it comes to my salvation. And if you live by the law, then you better be able to do it perfectly. We've already talked about consulting the biblical roadmap, so then let's talk about our town. Let's talk about how in the world do we apply this when it's not just law. Do better. Stop sinning. Fix it. Behavior modification. How do we do this? It's been a long time since I've shared this and talked about this. This is what's called the cross chart. And uh, when we look at this image of that I've got my life on this line and then I come, it's conversion, I get saved. And what happens then in that moment is I see the cross. I see Jesus for who he is. He died for my sins. I can do nothing to earn his favor. I can do nothing to earn his love. That it's so simple that little kids can understand this. I know I did when I was a little child. And I was like, wow, God really loves me and I wanna put my faith in him. And then what happens then, what should happen Um, not as a law this should happen, but I mean, what? just as time goes on, we grow and have a greater and deeper and deeper understanding and knowledge of God's holiness. And then that, that bottom line then is that we grow and have a deeper understanding and knowledge of our sinfulness. And so that makes the cross bigger. When I see God as who he is, as good and loving and holy and separate, and I see my sin and how gross it is, it just makes the cross that much bigger. But... We're not perfect. We don't do this all the time. When we, what's called shrink the cross. And we do this by legalism and license. We do it by legalism saying, oh, I'm actually pretty good. I go to church every week. I give to my church. I, I, I volunteer. I play in the handbell choir. I do whatever, whatever it is that, that, I, that I think I'm good. And it, we shrink the holiness of God. 
We shrink, actually, what the cross doesn't get smaller. God doesn't get smaller. The cross doesn't get smaller. My understanding and my view of him is smaller and affected. And same then with the other side of license of like, oh, I know God said, like, don't lie. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Of course, we have to be able to lie sometimes. No, 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 we're shrinking the cross. So when we do this, how is it that we can get the cross big again, right? How do we see Jesus as holy, good, and loving um, to us. We apply the gospel. We look at the gospel. And so when the Bible says, don't judge, right? when the Bible says, don't do this thing, specifically, don't judge, the legalism in me then goes, I can't. I can't do that, but I want to do that. I'm going to work on not judging and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really good at not judging. I'm going to tell my wife, remind me, don't judge. Tell my kids, they'd be really good at reminding me not to judge others, right? Just, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to buckle down, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight it. I'm going to fight sin. What the gospel says is the Bible says don't judge, but the reality is you can't not judge. You are going to judge. But you know what? Who didn't? Jesus didn't judge. And he loves you. And because he loves you and he wants to reveal himself to you and you see him, that whole big cross of the gospel, that's now my motivation to not judge. Not law. Obeying laws doesn't make someone a good person. So there's a list in um, this Bob Thune. He wrote a little uh, small group book called The Gospel-Centered Life. And he kind of has these idols of, uh, idols of the heart and I kind of want to walk through some of these because it, it, um, they're really convicting. But I hope that we see the gospel on the other side of this as we apply this in our town. This one is the idol of, of approval. Um, approval of other of the people that I'm, I'm, I'm talking to. Right? I, I really need to, to know that you know I'm a big deal. I need you to know that I have your, your approval. And, and maybe some of these will, will ring a bell with you, and maybe some of them, some of them won't. Uh, the second one, the idol of control. Right? And it's so easy to use then gossip as a way to, to manipulate. Uh, I think of uh, prayer. Prayer, I think, in churches can be such a way to uh, gossip and manipulate one another. And, oh, you need to pray for so-and-so. Uh, they're, really, they're really going through a hard time right now, right? Oh, tell me more. Oh, well, they did this thing. This thing happened, or they got caught in this, or whatever it is. And, and, and it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a problem. Idol of reputation. Uh, I, I, uh, I need to feel important, and so I cut other people down. The idol of success. Someone is succeeding, and I'm not. And so I find a problem in them. This was last week, like I said, we were in Florida. I'm, I spent a little bit of time in prayer during the church service. We went, Angela and I and her parents and our kids went to a, a church. I don't even know the name of it. I don't know anything about it. But I'm telling you, Paul and I, we joke about this. We're really bad um, church guests. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you're in ministry, all you do is judge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's bad. Like it's really bad. And I'm constantly having to repent of it. And as I'm repenting of, of that, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and, and I know Paul is literally preaching on the, in, from right here on not judging. Like I know that. And I'm praying for Paul as he's preaching on not judging. And I'm judging this pastor uh, because of his success and, and his theology, I thought, was garbage, 
right? And, and I, re- I really struggled with it. It's idol of success. I feel like I'm doing it right. How come I'm not? How come I'm not more successful? Maybe you have that. The idol of security, tearing others down, uh, makes my own, um, masks my own insecurities, right? Focus on their issues so I don't have to face mine. Uh, just last night, I know I've, I've mentioned this before, Angel and I, uh, every once in a while, watch Blue Bloods, just like a cop family in New York. It's fiction, it's not true. Um, but there is a scene, though, where, where uh, Frank Reagan, he's the police commissioner for, for New York City, He's got a buddy who's really going through some stuff, and so he, or a coworker, and he's like, I need you to go to, you need to go get some therapy. You, you need to go talk to a, to a professional. And, and he's like, you know what? In order for you to go do that, I'll prove it to you. I'll, I'll even go, right? But then he, do, he doesn't. He makes the guy come to his office, and he doesn't talk about anything. He doesn't get real, like, oh, I, I know this is, and my buddy needs this. I'm only doing this so it looks good, and that's the idol of security. I'm not going to talk about my problems. Let's talk about your problem. No, he's the one who really needs the problem. He's here. He's the one who really needs the help. I'm, I'm, I'm good. The idol of pleasure. Uh, this individual or that person seems to enjoy life, and so I'm going to attack them. There's no way. That's right. That's a, the, one of the worst things about like Facebook and social media is you usually only see the good things and the happy things. Right? People aren't putting images of their kids puking their guts out. You know what I mean? They're not just, they're not doing it. Maybe some people do, uh, but it's usually not what makes it to social media, right? And so you look at someone in social media, you're like, oh, this is amazing, right? It's an epidemic, a, a plague going through our society right now with social media and, and Instagram, and I want to look like that and be like that, and man, that's, that's bad. The idol of knowledge, I know more. I know more than you, therefore I'm better. Uh, I struggle with this, and not because I'm smart. Uh, it's because I'm a sinner. <laughs> Number eight, the idol of recognition. I need to be noticed for what I do. Just got together with a pastor just this past week, and man, we both really struggled with this. I'm like, I just, I want, to, I want people to like walk in on me when I'm doing work. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, I want them to see what I do. The idol of respect. You disrespect me, and so I'm going to disrespect you, right? We could go on and on and on. But I wanted to put these in here again, not because we need to just stop it, right? I, I, if, if, if you walk out of here and I ask you in two days, if you even remember any of the sermon in two days from now, and I say, hey, what was the point of the sermon? You're like, stop sinning. I failed, <laughs> right? Should you stop sinning? Yes. But your motivation and how you stop sinning is very different. And again, the whole point of this text, right, the Jews thought, oh, we're good. We, we've stopped it. We've stopped sinning because of who we are. And God says, no, you haven't. And I need to stay on that bike of the gospel and not tip over at behavior modification and not think, oh, I'm a good person. Let's just stop these idols of my heart and I'll be, I'll be good. Wrong. You're not good. You're bad. You need Jesus. All of us do. Moment by moment, day to day. Let me pray. Uh, the worship team is going to come back up, and they're going to sing two songs. And, and as we do every single week at, at Lower Town, as we have a time of uh, communion. And so uh, this just simply represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, the wafer and the juice that represents his blood that was poured out for us. It's only because of his broken body and his sacrifice that allows us to approach the throne of God 
to go to the throne of mercy in a time of need and ask for help. I, I can't. That's Paul's whole thing. How can anyone approach God? How can anyone be in heaven? You can't except through him. How is it that I can fight sin? You can't except through him. Let me pray, and then again, um, if you're a member of, well, sorry, you don't have to be a member of this church or any church, we would just ask that you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've bent the knee to King Jesus, we would love to partake of these elements with you and viscerally taste and remember the finished work of Christ. Again, the finished work of Christ. I can't add to it, I can't take anything away from it. Let's pray, and then I'll ask the worship team to come and, and play a couple more songs. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for our time uh, together this morning. Thank you for like a text like this, that it's, it's, uh, it's a warning uh, that there is wrath. There is something that we need to be saved from. And so would you just even now in this moment allow your spirit to convict of sin, but not then move us to a place of guilt and shame, but a place of repentance, a place of joy, knowing that you will forgive, that anyone who um, confesses their sins, that you are right and you are just, to forgive us of our sins sins, and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So pray that would be our hearts and our posture now as we look to you, the beginner and the ender of our faith. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.